Thanks for joining the Joshua Nation's Inheritance Podcast, where we discuss God, the Bible, and God's purpose for your life. Be inspired and encouraged to engage in transforming the world around you. God's put it on my heart that in this time that we live in history, that he is restoring much back to the church, uh, a understanding and a restoration to the goodness of God, that he is good. And we work backwards everything from the goodness of God, as well as the call to discipleship, to live out the teachings of Jesus and to put into practice what he's taught us how to live as his, his followers. And therefore, when that passion is in your heart, you're going to have a passion for the church. Jesus loves the local church. He loves the nations. And I was thinking there's been a lot of um, amazing discoveries in the, in history. You go all the way back to the wheel the printing press, um, medicine, things that truly change the world. I mean, the fact that we're all in many different places around the world seeing each other's faces on this thing called Zoom, it's pretty amazing. The internet changed the world. But as I was thinking about what to share this morning, I was thinking of something far greater than any invention of man or any discovery is in the heart and mind of God from eternity past, and that's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, God's son. And through that, he ushered in, inaugurated his church. Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. If you think about what he said there, he said, he takes responsibility for building the church. So many times pastors and leaders, we see it like I'm building a church. We don't build churches. We make disciples. That was a clear call from Jesus that we're called to, to make disciples. And did you notice in the, in the gates of hell shall not stand against it. Gates are defensive things there. It's defensive to keep something or someone out. And Jesus is saying, uh, through the gospel and through the church, he's going to blow the doors off of, you know, all that hell is, is, is about. And uh, so I think rediscovering his love for the church, that when you rediscover something, you're discovering something that's been forgotten or maybe ignored or neglected. And Jesus loves his church. He loves his church. He said he'll build it. He takes that responsibility. We participate with him in uh, making disciples. In English, the word church comes from a German word, which means belonging to the Lord. So the church belongs to the Lord. It's precious to him. I'll give you a working definition of the church because we're the people of God. And I felt like God wanted me to remind all of us this morning that you're the people of God and the people you lead are, are the people of God, Jesus's church. And the church is people who recognize that they belong to Jesus and they represent him here on earth. 
The church is an extension of Jesus and his ministry in this world. What a calling. What a calling that to represent Jesus on the earth and to be an extension of what he did when he was here on the earth. But that's also pretty sober. <laughs> that means, you know, people sometimes because the church is messy and people are messy and people make mistakes and fail that we can send the wrong message just like Jason was saying earlier and, and not fully represent Jesus. And I was, as I was preparing, I thought about, I have one main passage this morning that I'm going to read from out of first Peter. But before I do that, if you think about Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham, right? Abraham is out of, uh, he's worshiping pagan gods and, idolatry, just like all the nations were, were at that point. And, and God chooses Abraham among the nations. And he tells them that I'm going to make you into a great nation a people that will represent me and be an extension of me on the earth. So Israel had that calling in Deuteronomy seven, verse six, he says, for you are a holy people to the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now listen to what Peter says in the New Testament when he's talking to the church. So Peter is talking to the local church when he writes this, and he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That language, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the people of God. We're the people of God. We represent him and Jesus on the earth, we're the extension of what Jesus did. I know that might sound elementary, but we need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of that. I know that. And so through Jesus, God is reclaiming the nations, the promise to Abraham that through him, his seed, that's, that's Jesus. And we're still part of that. One nation, one life at a time. I kind of have what I wanted to share with you under two headings. And the first is what is the calling of the church? A couple verses prior to what I just read to you out of first Peter two, first Peter two, five, he says this to the church. He says, and now you are living stones. When you hear living stones, thank the temple in Jerusalem. He says, you are living stones that are being used to build a spiritual house. You are also a group of holy priests. And with the help of Jesus Christ, you will offer sacrifices that please God. A group of holy priests, um, I don't know in other languages what it sounds like, but in English, we, we call it the priesthood of believers. That we don't have to go to a man to have our relationship with God mediated. That our mediation between us and God is through the man, Jesus Christ. He's, he is the true high priest, but that we have now been given this call to be priests here on the earth, 
Revelation 1.5. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever. Amen. So we're priests. So go back to the Israel in the Old Testament in this concept of the priesthood. Israel as a nation was called to be a priesthood. And yet when you read through uh, the Torah, you read through the books of Moses, you see that Israel, they were afraid of God. And they said, Moses, you do it for us. You, you mediate between us and God. And Moses himself was afraid too. And see, so he told God, he said, can somebody else do this? And gets his brother Aaron to be the high priest. So there's always been this wrong understanding of the goodness of God, even go all the way back to Israel. But back to the priests. Priests mediate God's blessings on earth. So if we're called to, to be priests, we're, we're called to mediate God's blessing to represent uh, God to, this, to the people of this world. The priests, their role, if you think about what a, a pre, the high priest did or the priests in the worship, they were to worship sing to God. They were to offer the sacrifices. They were to offer, pray blessings over the people. Do you think of the ironic blessing in numbers? May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you and give you his peace. That was the Aaron's blessing to the people of Israel. So we have as priests unto God, we can bless. We have the power to bless. And then they interceded on behalf of the people. That should sound like New Testament language to us because we're called to live a life of worship, to be living sacrifices, to be a blessing, to intercede on behalf of others. So I started tracing this understanding of what it means to, to be called to be priests, and I go back to Adam and Eve, the first people, they had a calling to represent God on earth. And they had this responsibility to work the garden and to make the garden of Eden grow and, and flourish and, and grow all over the earth. And the Hebrew word for work is an interchangeable word for worship. So their work was worship to God. So I would encourage all of us to remember that our work is an act of worship to God and encourage your people that even if they don't like their job, they can still make it a sacrifice of worship unto the Lord. And then Abraham. So you fast forward from Adam and Eve um, to Abraham's calling. He was called to be a, a priest in the sense of to rep represent God on earth, to mediate. And then you get to Moses and the, the tabernacle. Some things I've discovered recently in some of my studies and, and reading is uh, when God tells Moses how he wants the sacrificial system and worship to be in the tabernacle, the tabernacle, that mobile worship space that went with the children of Israel uh, wherever they went, that both the tabernacle and the temple were designed after the Garden of Eden. I find that really interesting. I didn't know that until recently that in the tabernacle and the temple, you had the outer area, then you had a door into uh, the tabernacle. And then in the middle was the Holy of Holies. 
the sacred space of God. God's everywhere, but he's always had his sacred space where his tangible presence was, was known. In the Garden of Eden, it was the same way. You had the outer part of the garden. There was a doorway into the garden. We know that because after Adam and Eve were exiled out of the garden, the, the cherubim, the angels, stood over the doorway back into the garden. And then what was in the middle of the garden was the tree of life. That represents the, the holy of holies. It represents what was in the middle of the temple. And so also I want you to remember this because there's a couple other um, amazing things that I've discovered recently. Remember when Aaron, as the high priest, he was anointed with oil. And that was a symbolic thing they would always do to the priests. They would pour oil over them. And we see in the Psalms, it just went all over his hair and into his beard. And so priests, they offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. They, they interceded. You see me in the life of King David. He was really the first of the king priests, symbolic of what Jesus was going to be for us, our, high, our king and our high priest. Psalm 110 says that from David's line, a true king, the Messiah, the true king, the true high priest was going to come from his line, which we know Jesus is the fulfillment of being our true king and our true high priest. He's the mediator between God and man. All the other priests were symbolic um, and, and they all had their own sin and failures. And we were always waiting for someone who was going to be perfect. If you want to follow this up, you probably know this, but read the book of Hebrews um, with the understanding of looking that you had Hebrew Christ, a Hebrew Christian writing a letter to Hebrew, the early Hebrew Christians, and it was understanding all of this old covenant theology and how Jesus fulfilled it all. All the others failed in the, their calling, but Jesus comes and he passed all the tests. And then ultimately, as our high priest offered himself as sacrifice, because he's the, the true king, the true high priest, he calls his church, us, to represent him in this world now, to continue his ministry. And that's what we're doing. We're continuing the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus identified with us. He identified with the church in taking on human flesh in the incarnation. He became one of us. He got baptized. He didn't need to be baptized, but he identified with us in his baptism. So we now identify him in our faith, in our baptism, in our giving our lives to him. And when we get to a point like this, where we're talking about representing Jesus on the earth, I know that it's easy to all of a sudden some guilt can come in, especially if you're, you're preaching to, to your people or sharing, but we've all failed. We've all sinned. And I know I'm don't always represent Jesus right on this earth. None of us do because we're broken. But he's healing us and he's transforming his church and we cooperate with him. We participate with him in this transformation. And anytime there's the evil one tries to bring 
shame into our lives <clears throat> because of our guilt. We need to be reminded in Hebrews 4 that Jesus is not a shame, not ashamed to call us his brothers, his family. He's not ashamed. I love that scripture. The Father loved us so much, he gave us Jesus. He, Jesus comes. He's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. And now the Holy Spirit has said, you know, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of intimacy going on there. And Jesus brought us in to his relationship with his father, not a relationship like he and his father have to be adopted into the family of God is to be brought into the very relationship that the father and son have that perfect others centered intimate relationship from eternity past. We're in that relationship and we get to enjoy that every day. We are as secure as the relationship between the father and son have. Think about how secure the father and son are. You, you read it in the life of Jesus. We're in that relationship. That, that keeps me going every day. That makes me realize how loved I am. And I want you to know how loved you are. So the second part of what I wanted to share was just the, the functioning of the church. If we have this calling as the priesthood of believers to represent Jesus on earth and to extend his ministry, how does that function? What does that look like? Well, the church that I pastor, our vision from the time we planted it 10 years ago and continued on is very simple. We want to be a modern expression of what the early church looked like. How did the early church function? What does that look like in the year 2022? And our a text that a passage that really guides our vision as a church is found in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Pretty, pretty familiar passage. It's after Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and thousands of people come to know Jesus. And it tells us what happened after the people that heard the message returned back to the nations they had come from, what happened in Jerusalem. And it says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Within this passage, I see there's five purposes to the church, five things, five things that cause us to function in our calling as a church. And the first is, as a local church, we are to be a worshiping community. People who, who worship, 
Jesus and, and live a lifestyle of worship as well as come together often to worship. Um, Hebrews 13, 15 tells us as priests, we are to offer a sacrifice of worship. So our sacrifices are not burning animals or incense or anything anymore. They're different kinds of sacrifice, but it's still a sacrifice. Jesus, a famous thing that Jesus said, he said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the middle. I just learned this recently, but if you think about there, there's a depth to what he says when two or three are gathered in his name. In the temple, in the tabernacle, what was in the middle? It was the Holy of Holies. It was right in the middle. In the garden, again, the temple and the tabernacle being a, a, a model of what the Garden of Eden was like. In the garden, what was in the middle? The tree of life. Jesus is the Holy of Holies. Jesus is the tree of life. And so he says, whenever we are gathered in his name, he's right there in the middle. The tree of life, the holy of holies is in our midst. And so our, our small groups, our th things that we do, anything we're doing in his name, he's, he's there right in the middle of us. And then to function as the church, we need to be a church that is a connecting community where that word fellowship, a place to practice what the New Testament calls the one another's. There's like 60 times we're told in the New Testament to pray for one another, care for one another, serve for one, one another, be hospitable to one another. And there's so many more. The church's functions when we're do, practicing those together, and we need one another to do that. And then we're to be a a community that serves. We serve um, each other. We serve our communities and then ultimately the world. Hebrews 13, 16 says to offer a sacrifice of doing good for others in sharing what we have. That's a sacrifice. And then what happened in the, the book of Acts, it says that there was impact we're to be an impacting community. The Lord added to their fellowship every day, those who were being saved, one life at a time. And we think we have impact when obviously we proclaim the gospel, when we demonstrate the gospel, when we invite people to be part of church, to be part of our, our, our services, to be part of a small group. People are in need of love. People are hurting and they're lonely. And we were made and created by God for relationships. And so teaching our people and ourselves, practicing the power of invitation, just inviting people to be part of, of the community. And then obviously going to the nations and having people who are sent to go into all the world, right? And some, some send, some go, but we all participate. And then what I see lastly in this, this passage in Acts is the church's functions when we're pursuing to be a maturing community. We're continuing to grow spiritually. We're disciples who make disciples. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 is another 
passage in our church that is, it's the goal of everything we do. Paul in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, he talks about unity in beliefs. And then he talks about why did, did, did Jesus give apostles, prophets, pastors, uh, teachers, evangelists. And he says it's to equip the, the believers to do the work of the ministry. Not to have one pastor or a couple pastors or leaders do all the work. It's to our job as pastors and leaders is to equip, allow others to do the work of the ministry. And that's our job as leaders. And he says, ultimately, the goal is to present every believer mature in Christ, to attain the fullness of, of maturity. So I would say this kind of in a conclusion. I, Jesus, when we think of our call as the church, our functioning as the church, in a sense, Jesus has two bodies, his physical body that was resurrected from the dead, which ascended back to the father. And he's in the divine realm in heaven right now, physically. That's one body, but he has another body. And that's the body of Christ that represents him on earth that we get to be part of, represent him and be an extension of him. And when you think of the gospel and what Jesus went through and how, how different he lived his life compared to the way the world tries to train us on what life is about. He, he did a, he turned everything upside down and he made everything about serving others. And he came on a mission to set us free, came on a mission to set us free from our three enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. And by his death on the cross and his resurrection, those en enemies were defeated. Their authority was, was taken from them. When Jesus was before Caiaphas, the high priest at, the, at that time, the priesthood was pretty corrupt. And that's why the priesthood and the, the religious leaders couldn't recognize Jesus. They, they, they weren't ready like John the Baptist was ready and, and so forth. And um, when you see the word, the anointed one in scripture, it means Christ. We translate it in English Christ or, or Messiah. That's what the anointed one is. And when I was praying the other day, the Lord showed me something that I felt like um, I just want to remind you of how great Jesus is and the humility that he displayed in every area of his life. Though he was the king, the high priest, he humbled himself. And before the, the Caiaphas, when he's on trial for the things he was doing and the miracles and things he taught, calling himself the son of God, Caiaphas asked him, he says, are you the anointed one? Are you the Messiah? And I started getting this revelation about how Jesus fulfilled all of this king, high priest language in such a humble way. If you remember in Matthew 26, Jesus is before the, the religious leaders 
and he's having a discussion with him and a, a woman comes in with anointing oil and she pours it over his head and even the disciples got mad they were like what what a wasteful thing that was expensive perfume and anointing oil and jesus says no she's done a good thing for me she anointed me for my burial and i was thinking well you know there there's so much in the new testament where there are physical things that happen in jesus's life that were fulfillments of things in the old testament and i was thinking well, where was Jesus anointed with oil if he was our high priest? Was it, was it his baptism? And I thought, well, maybe. Then all of a sudden I thought about that story. That Jesus, he, his throne was the cross. His crown was a crown of thorns. The royal robe they put on his back that he carried was going to eventually be stained with his own blood. And then above his head is on the cross it's nailed that he's the king of the jews and all of this mockery and yet all the while suffering at the hands of violent men he was undoing the fall of adam he was ushering in the kingdom of god and he was ushering in the church and his people who would follow him and trust him and believe him i've come to recently to realize that faith is coming into agreement with Jesus about who he says he is and who he says we are. That's what faith is, is Jesus, I agree with you. We don't make Jesus Lord. We don't make him savior by our prayers. He already is Lord. He already is savior. We Faith is coming into agreement and saying, I agree. And I'm gonna give all of my life to serve you, to love you, and to let you fulfill your call as uh, your representative here on the earth. We're little extensions of Jesus. What a privilege, what a calling, and what a privilege it is to be able to share with you this morning. I'm humbled and, and blessed to be able to do this. So thank you. Thank you for joining Joshua Nations on this episode of the Inheritance Podcast. For more information about the ministry of Joshua Nations, please go to www.joshuanations.org. To join our prayer movement, please go to prayer.joshuanations.org. We hope you will join us for the next episode of the Joshua Nations Inheritance Podcast. May God bless you.